You are listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. What I want to do right now is I want to introduce to you one of my dearest friends, uh, Chaplain Bill Roberts. Bill, why don't you come on up here and you can welcome him. Even if you don't know who he is or what he does, he's, he's worth it. <clears throat> I want you to meet Bill here this morning because uh, Bill is retiring from the chaplaincy. He's been a chaplain for uh, our police, fire, and medics for quite some time now, over almost 30 years. And uh, Bill and I started this journey almost together. We uh, joined we joined hips right here at this church about 32 years ago. And we were sorting things out. And Bill just became a very, very dear friend of mine. He is also my chaplain. And when I need to be talked off of a ledge, he's the one that I go to to talk me off of a ledge. So he does so much for us. But the things that you need to know about Bill and the reason we wanted him to be uh, honored today is because of the service that he has given to this community. So many things that have happened and do happen behind the scenes where people need to be taken care of, who are dealing with trauma, who are dealing with death, who are dealing with so many, so many hardships. And uh, Bill has been there for that to happen. And in fact, I'm going to say this, he probably wouldn't. Bill, I think, is one of the sole reasons the chaplaincy has been so strong in our community over these last 25 years. And so Bill has served Canby Fire Police and Aurora Fire for about 26 years while also serving other agencies in the Willamette Valley. Uh, When he first started as a chaplain, Marion County Deputy gave him a short prayer Uh, to use, and uh, he was about to deliver a death notice, and we've done that. He and I, Bill and I, have done that together a few times, and um, it was to a young wife, and the prayer that the chaplain had given you or the deputy had given you was, Lord, help me, and so wherever we go and whatever we walk into, uh, we pray, Lord, help us. Uh, Bill gives credit to Jesus, his wife, Cleo. He actually has me listed here, Pastor Ron, for supporting. I didn't see that till now. And uh, he, he served in the chaplaincy. He has been in the world of chaplaincy for quite some time. And so uh, he and I have actually been on calls together. We were at Katrina. We went to Katrina together, Waveland. Uh, we have just been spending time in community together. And I know there's so much here that we want to even probably put this online if we could, just what Bill has done and what he's given to this community. I didn't want this time to go by without you noticing and honoring Bill. Uh, he has just done a fabulous job. He represents the Lord well, and he represents this church well, by the way. And so I want to uh, thank you, Chaplain Roberts for all of your hard work, and uh, I know when you say retire, I'm not quite sure how you define that, uh, because you retired 30 years ago, and look what you ended up doing, so it's it's pretty amazing, so Bill, thank you, you're a dear friend, and a blessing to us, so stay right here with me, stay here, here. no, 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 I'm going to pray for you, yeah, go ahead and stand, would you, I think that's, just go ahead and stand, we want to do that, thank you. You can see these two guys are a little awkward with all this stuff, aren't we? But uh, let's pray together. Would you go ahead and stand? You can stand and just extend your hands. Uh, Father, we just thank you for uh, Bill's heart to serve you. And the ways that he has done that are, um, are in ways that not too many people dare go into. It's going into hardship and trauma. 
dealing with people who have had tremendous loss and that he brings the comfort of Jesus in so many different ways. Thank you for the friendship that I've experienced with him, this church has had with him. We just ask that these days ahead for he and Cleo, there would be a blessing, a blessing upon blessing. In Jesus' name we pray and we say amen. amen. Thank you, Chaplain. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you, Mings. Yep. Well, again, a good morning, Canby Foursquare Church. And I want to do this. I want to give a special shout-out to all you who worship with us online. Uh, I know that these last several months have been incredibly difficult for many. And I want to thank you for your participation on Facebook, on YouTube, on our website. You faithfully continue to do church and be the church in so many different ways. And you're your presence and influence in Jesus is felt literally around the world. In fact, there are people that are watching this, listening to this right now, where your generosity and your grace has blessed uh, so many in so many ways. And so we're going to ask you, I just want to encourage you to continue to follow Jesus. I mean, if you're at home right now, we want you to dive in to what God's Word has for you. We want you to dive in to being a follower of Jesus Christ. And I thank you and, and, and really want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for your financial contributions. You've continued to be strong, making a huge difference. It's remarkable. Uh, there's one last thing that I want to say to you, and that's this. For those that are online worshipers, I've heard some of you express a tinge of guilt for not being here in person. Please do not do that to yourself. Uh, we want you to know you're relieved of any guilt there. You just continue to follow Jesus with all of your heart wherever you are, and please know that you're absolutely loved. What I want to do right now is I want to pray for those that are online, for those that are here. I want to pray for those that are dealing with sickness, with people in our congregation that are facing, family members facing sickness, they're facing loss. So we want to pray uh, that God brings healing and that he brings grace and comfort in Jesus' name. So would you join me? Would you join me? Father, we just come to you right now in Jesus' name. And we pray for those that are at home or wherever they're watching this broadcast, that, that, that you would bring your healing touch, that you, Lord Jesus, would bring strength to the physical body. We know that you're able to do that. And your, your, your presence transcends our circumstances, transcends everywhere we are to be with us. Let us know that you are at work and doing wonderful things in our lives. And Lord, I just want to pray again for those who have experienced loss uh, recently and in the months past. Father, I pray that you come and you comfort. Uh, we are called your sheep for a reason. You are our shepherd. So would you shepherd those that have experienced the loss of loved ones, friends, family members over these last several months. We know you are so faithful and we thank you for your faithfulness. Continue to be with us. In Jesus' name we pray and we say together, all of us say together, amen. Well, this morning we're opening our Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. If you would want to do that with me, it's Luke chapter 7. And we're going to look at verses 36 through 50 together. If you don't have a Bible, we'll have the Scripture on the screen for you this morning. But it's Luke, the Gospel of Luke 7, verses 36 through 50. As we continue our series, Jesus for Everyone. And I want to say that again, Jesus for Everyone. I listened to myself say that the other day, and I asked the question, do I really believe that? Uh, do you really believe that? 
Or is that just one of those nice things that Christians say when they don't have anything else to say? And the reason I ask is because if I, if, if we, are truly committed to Jesus for everyone, then God will make sure that our paths cross with people and circumstances that test that resolve. And in my life, in my lifetime, I can't recall of any other time that God is testing his people as he has these past several months. That the salvation of Jesus Christ, that his life, his death, his resurrection, and that the good news that God doesn't want anyone to perish, but through repentance, all would have eternal life. Friends, if, if this is what we truly believe, why so much fear in God's people? Why so threatened by certain political outcomes? Why so frantic to hear the next prophetic word? I was talking to someone not too long ago, and they said this to me, Yes, Jesus, but there's more. My response is, no, there isn't. There's no more. He is the first, the last, the alpha, the omega. He's the beginning and the end. Jesus is everything. And I know the times have been scary. I know it's been difficult for a lot of people. And and maybe this scripture that I'm going to read to you this morning will bring some level of comfort for you because it really is a promise especially when we live during very difficult times the promise is found in proverbs chapter 3 and it reads like this my son my daughter do not let wisdom and understanding out of your sight preserve sound judgment and discretion they will be life for you an ornament of grace to your neck and then you will go on your way in safety And your foot will not stumble. You will lie down. You will not be afraid. You will lie down and your sleep will be sweet. Have no fear of sudden disaster or the ruin that overtakes the wicked. For the Lord will be at your side and will keep your foot from being snared. Do you believe that promise? Say amen. It is a promise. The God's people are covered. They're comforted. They're watched after by the great shepherd, and that's Jesus Christ. This is Jesus for everyone, not a question mark. Jesus for everyone, exclamation mark. Now, here's where I'm headed with all of this, especially with what's going on right now, the chaos, the complications, the controversies. Have we allowed these things to keep us, God's people, from what is critical to mission? Now, I know there are a lot of important things that we want to talk about. I know there are a lot of important things that swirl around on the airwaves. But are we really paying attention to what's critical to mission for God's people? And according to Jesus, it is the least, the last, and the lost. Here's what Jesus said. He said, I've not come to call those that think they're righteous, but I've come for sinners to repentance. You see, Jesus was very clear about his mission here. He came not for those that think they're healthy, but he came for those that are sick. And this is where our story picks up today. This is where our story picks up in the gospel of Luke chapter 7. It's with a prostitute that Jesus loves. Jesus for everyone. In Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50, we're introduced to a prostitute, and we really don't know much about 
this prostitute. We don't know her name. We don't know her background. We're not sure where she came from. But we do know something about her profession. The Bible talks us and talks us about, talks to us about prostitution. It mentions prostitution 76 times. It says in Leviticus 19 and 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that it's immoral conduct. But were you also aware that prostitutes listened to John the Baptist and they repented? Did you know that there are two prostitutes in the genealogy of Jesus Christ? Tamar, Rahab. Rahab, the wonderful lady that hid the spies, is also mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 in the Hall of Faith. An amazing lady. You see, the sex trade is one of the largest money-making enterprises in the world. And today, today, Super Bowl Sunday, is its largest one-day gross profit in America. In Miami right now, over $250 million are spent per year in the industry. The average age of a girl who enters the sex trade is about 13 years old. Those that know about this, those that spot and watch over little boys and little girls who prey on their lives, know within 48 hours that they've run away from home. And so they're caught in this web of deceit, of sex. And it's not only girls, but it's also boys. The sex trade is one of the deadliest professions in the world. On average, uh, when you look at 100,000, 3.5 people die per 100,000. In the industry of prostitution, it's 204 people per 100,000. 95% of those involved in prostitution have been raped. Their life has been threatened. They've had a gun pointed at them or a knife at their throat. It's a deadly, deadly industry. And today... There are women, there are little girls, there are little boys that are looking for a way out. And what we need to be able to do is be able to pray and we're able to help. And that we keep our eyes and ears open. I've just given you some information here. I put it up on the screen. It's Rescue Freedom. It's something that's very close to Annette and I, and especially Annette, when you hear about Annette going off and traveling the northwest and climbing these great big mountains. She's doing it for rescue freedom. She's raising funds along with a lot of other women and men to build safe houses for boys and girls who are caught in the sex trade. And so we want to personally, and we have invested in seeing people free, seeing people break free and finding their identity in Jesus Christ. And that's what this is really all about. So I'm going to ask you to take some time today and pause and pray and think and ask questions about how you can help. I also want to talk to those that are online right now. If you're listening to this somewhere around the world, maybe even in this community, and you're caught in a domestic abuse situation, please know that there is a way out. Uh, we will provide numbers for you. We will provide emergencies, uh, uh, emergency plans for you. We want you to know that uh, you are not alone. And so we want to pray. We want to help. And we want God to do a good work. We want our nation and our churches and our lives to be healthy. 
And the only way that happens is when we find our true and real identity in Jesus Christ. And so we're going to read about someone today who had lost their identity. Jesus came along, and it was found. You see, our story today is very interesting. It's Jesus and a prostitute in the home of a Pharisee. You want to talk about tension. That's tension. The Pharisee is named Simon, and both he and the prostitute, they're drawn together in Simon's house for the same reasons, for the same purpose, and for the same person, and that's Jesus Christ. It's stories like this that make me just want to love Jesus more and more. Because it's stories like this that you see how God cares for everyone and how Jesus loves everyone. The story today and the verses that we're going to read actually break down into three scenes. And I want to break it down for you. So you see these three scenes unfold. And and the, and the, the first scene, the first encounter is the Pharisee and the prostitute, scene one. The Pharisee and the prostitute, it begins in verse 36 of chapter 7, and it says this. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. Uh, A woman in that town who lived a sinful life, the Greek word there is a life of prostitution, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him, At his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. We aren't clear why Jesus was invited to this home. This is the home of of a Pharisee. His name is Simon, and the scripture doesn't tell us. It's not clear about, about why Jesus was invited, but I think we can all draw a pretty good conclusion And that was the habit of the Pharisees to invite Jesus over, get him in a circle, discuss politics and religion, and try to trap him on some issue of theology. So this is probably no different. They probably were bringing Jesus in, and they wanted to see if he would stumble. Now, it wasn't unusual to have uninvited people in dinners like this. In fact, it was part of their protocol, part of their custom Because what would happen is people would hear that there was a celebrity. There was someone of great importance that was visiting someone else's home for a a meal. And when they would come into that home, there were courtyards that were around surrounding the dining area. And people would come and stand in the courtyards, not to really interact that much, but just to kind of listen to what was being said to listen to the dialogue and the conversation, kind of like your kids might do every now and again when you're in a conversation with other adults. So there were these people there listening. What was unusual was for this woman to be there, a sinner. A sinful life meant prostitution. You couldn't get two more different people in the room than Simon and this woman. In the Talmud, which is really a bunch of rules and laws made up for Pharisees, and Pharisees made them up, for a woman to even let her hair down in the front of another man was grounds for divorce by her husband. So this Pharisee would have seen her touching Jesus as a sexual advance. With all the odds against her, why did this woman come? 
That's a question for all of us to ask. Why would she even be there? And I think the most obvious reason is simply because Jesus was there. We don't know for sure, but Jesus was already known in that area. Jesus was teaching. He was preaching. People had heard about him. And it's not unlikely that this woman heard Jesus, was in one of the many sermons that he preached, was in the crowd, and now she has this opportunity. She has this opportunity to go and be in the vicinity of Jesus Christ and maybe even get close to the one that she's listened to. And that Jesus is saying things that resonate in her own heart. Jesus is saying things that heal her spirit. She doesn't know all the reasons why. She just knows that Jesus is a safe person in an industry that is incredibly unsafe. And so I think she shows up for the simple reason that Jesus was there. Maybe she even heard Jesus preach a few weeks before. Maybe she heard that promise, that invitation, when Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my my burden is light. Maybe she heard Jesus say that. What we do know about this story as it unfolds is out of the two people, the sinner, the woman, the saint, the Pharisee, only one of those took Jesus up on his promise. Only one of those responded to that particular invitation, and we'll find out later who that is. And I think the other reason that this woman showed up is she wanted real, true love in her life. We don't know the depth of her brokenness. We don't know why she was in the industry. Maybe it was an industry that was passed down from her mother and her grandmother. Maybe she was abused when she was a child. Maybe she was married and had children, and her husband died. She was a widow and had no other way to make an income or a living. Because back then, there was no such thing as Social Security. There was not a financial safety net. We're not sure why she was here in this place. What we do know is it is a very painful place to be. I picked up an anonymous quote from a prostitute who said this. Prostitutes have very improperly been styled women of pleasure. Far from it. They are women of pain, of sorrow, of grief, and of continual repentance. That is their true life. That's what happens in that introduction we have to this woman. There's something happening. There's an engagement taking place here, and and then it moves just a little further. The, the, The scene shifts, and it goes to the second scene, and it's the Pharisee and Jesus. Now things get a little more tense, because when you pick it up at verse 39, you'll see what I mean. It says, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were really a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. When Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owned, owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 
or 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, for he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You judge correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned toward the woman and he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet. But she, she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. When I came into this house, you didn't give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. Simon, when I walked into your house, you did not pour oil on my head. But she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. As her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Now, this has got some irony to it. To me, there's probably a little bit of humor because the Pharisee is thinking that if Jesus was really a prophet, he would know this woman is a prostitute. Instead, Jesus, being the prophet, calls out the Pharisee, not the prostitute. Oh, the two-edged sword we live on. Simon was stumbling through this whole encounter with Jesus. Simon doesn't get it right from the very beginning. Simon is stumbling his way through, and, and there were a few things that are noticeable, and Jesus calls those few things out. In fact, what Jesus was saying to Simon was, these are the things that you do when a guest comes into your home. These are the ways that you treat your guests. So, first of all, Simon does this. He mistook an act of devotion, worship, and repentance for a sexual advance. The guy's radar wasn't working. His spiritual intuitiveness had vacated. He didn't have a clue of what was really happening here in this sacred, worshipful Jesus moment. There's something else. He misreads everyone in the room. Absolutely everyone. He thought Jesus wasn't a a prophet. (laughs) That the woman didn't actually belong in the room with Jesus. He also thought that he was the smartest person in the room. You see, when you view life through the lens of legalism, Everyone and everything you see is distorted. Referring back to the Talmud, the guiding light of the Pharisees, it's the Bible of legalism. It's thousands of laws made up by the Pharisees to legislate morality. That's what this is all about. It it spins out of ten basic commandments, and now all of a sudden, men get a hold of it, and they have thousands of laws that legislate everything about your morality. And here's the sad thing when I read through this story. The Institute of Pharisees actually had the moral, legal, and financial ability to help the poor. They actually were empowered to help those who were poor, those who were prostitutes, those who were caught in life and beat down. But instead... 
They choose to judge and belittle those who violate its laws, the very laws that they've made up, the very game that they've created. It's interesting. The name Simon means one who hears. In this case, I think it's safe to say that Simon is tone deaf. He's really not hearing. And there are three things about Simon we get from the words of Jesus. First of all, Simon lacks hospitality because Middle Eastern protocol, what you do when you come into someone's house is they get their feet washed. Maybe you've experienced this before. I know I have. You get both cheeks kissed. That's a little too close for me, but it happens. And then... Your guest will take a bit of scented, possibly a scented olive oil, and they will anoint your head with it. Just as a way of saying you're welcome, of a way of esteeming hospitality, because in the Middle East, hospitality is seen so much different than we see it today. Hospitality is one of the greatest things that you can do for anybody. That's why Jesus even teaches about the Samaritan that helped the person that was beat up on the side of the road. That's why Abraham is lauded through Scripture. It's because of his hospitality. It's high value. Simon does none of this for Jesus Christ. And there's something else that we notice in this story And this is probably the saddest of all, is that his heart was judgmental. Something was happening there. This all of a sudden turned into sacred space. This all of a sudden had this reaction going on between Jesus and a sinner. And there was the Holy Spirit moving in this moment And there was freedom happening, and there was grace happening, and there was forgiveness happening, and there was love happening. And it's this moment, the church person in the room talks right over the top of this sacred moment that happens between a woman and Jesus Christ. Sometimes this is the thing I fear in church today. Am I talking right over the top of people who actually really need help? Am I missing the people who are in the room that are crying out to be forgiven, that are crying out to belong, that are crying out to be part of something greater than they've been part of? Am I missing those people in the room because I'm caught up in some theological, political discussion That really, in the long run, doesn't matter much. Religion is the world's biggest blind spot when it comes to people knowing their need for God. And there's something else Jesus says, at least refers to. Simon's sin was invisible. Her sin was outward, it was a sin of passion. His sin is inward, it's a sin of pride. Hers a sin of flesh, his a sin of the spirit. 
Hers was overt. His was covert. Sometimes I just can't help but think because I'm, I'm in the profession I'm in. I can't help but think in Western evangelicalism, do we have socially acceptable sins that we could call and look at and say it's a double standard and maybe even go a little further and say it amounts to hypocrisy? Something I'm looking at in my own life. Because all of us are going to leave a legacy. All of us will leave an imprint. All of us will leave our children and our children's children with something. And I'm just wondering. And I'm just praying. And I'm asking God to help me. We see greed, but we call it something else. We gossip, we call it something else. Gluttony, we call it something else. You see, what... Simon saw the woman do insulted him. But what Jesus said should have convicted him. And then you move a little further in the story. And this is where you see grace abound. This is where you see forgiveness and love abound because you get to the last scene. Scene three in the story that we're reading today is Jesus and the prostitute. In verse 48, it says, Then Jesus said to her, uh, Something I'm sure she longed to hear. Your sins are forgiven. See, the other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? talking over the need. Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I love Jesus. I really love Jesus. He wasn't put off by her reputation, her past, or by the way others judged her. I love Jesus. He wasn't threatened or afraid of her sexuality. He forgives her. Others were angry at the promise of forgiveness. She was just hungry to be forgiven. The others were disgusted. She was absolutely delighted. The love... She never knew through a multitude of encounters she finds in just one single encounter with Jesus Christ. And she learned that day that God has one great big eraser. Because she knew she had sinned much, she knew where she stood. She was real about her life. Her sins were forgiven. I love Jesus. See, Simon, he grew up in the church and he had a theological training, but he didn't know anything about God's grace. 
But you know what the worst sin is? The worst sin is self-righteousness. And there is a reason why. It's because self-righteousness is an absolute affront to the cross of Jesus Christ. It's an affront to the sacrifice made so that we could have everlasting life. It's forgetting that we were there once. Because something can happen the longer we're in faith. Something can happen and we forget. We have a spiritual amnesia and we forget that we were forgiven much. And then when we experience that forgiveness and we see that grace and we get down the road a little ways, we're apt to, in our humanness, change the rules on the people who are trying to get in. That's exactly what the Pharisees did. This woman spent a few minutes in the presence of Jesus and she knew more about God's grace than probably most believers do today. And all I could think about when I read this story is I want to know the grace that she knew that day. I want to be a community that understands this grace. Jesus, please help me. Help us. So let me leave you with just just three quick takeaways. First takeaway, everyone sins. Can you say amen? Amen. Whether much sin or little sin, and that's the story here. Either way, we have no ability to take care of that sin. And that's the point Jesus is making. Someone has to come along and forgive us of that debt. Whether that debt in monetary terms is $10,000 and I have no ability to pay it back, or $100,000 and I have no ability to pay it back. Both are debts, one just more than the other. I can't pay it back. And that's why Paul says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. And then... The second takeaway is really the title of our series. Jesus is for everyone. Can you just say that? Jesus is for everyone. Now, just say it one more time. Let that sink in. Jesus is for everyone. All right, now, the neighbor that just makes you angry, repeat it after me. Jesus is for everyone. The person that sits on the other side of the political discussion you have, Say it with me, would you? Jesus is for everyone. I got a little, I didn't hear as many on that one. The one who just cursed you out on the road and you were minding your own business. They cut you off. They were just angry. Would you repeat it after me? Jesus is for everyone. This woman knew two things. She was a great sinner. And second, Jesus was a great Savior. That she knew. Can I say this to church people because I'm one of them? Please don't overlook the broken in the room. That's the mission. And then the third takeaway here is God's word is absolutely true. 
undeniable. And you can count on it. Jesus Christ died for everyone. Even while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. Here's the question. Do you believe it? Because that's really what makes the difference in this story is she's offered forgiveness and she actually believes it. See, we can get complicated. We can get caught up in a lot of other things and we can make and put a lot of exceptions into these three takeaways. Bottom line, God's word is absolutely true. Do I believe it? And believing is the difference between life and death. Do you believe? That is the question will always be asked. And this woman, she said yes. Today, I think that's so appropriate that I hear something like this, study something like this, read something like this, talk about something like this. I think the next thing that should follow is communion. That we come to the communion table because it says there we have things in common and what is that in common? And it's Jesus Christ. We come to Jesus Christ. That's what we have in common. And he says, come to the table. If you have odd against others, go and ask forgiveness. Come to the Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbefoursquare.com.